Risk in Focus, the podcast. Climate change and environmental sustainability. Welcome to the Risk in Focus podcast on climate change and environmental sustainability. This subject is identified as a growing risk in the Risk in Focus 2021 report. I'm Derek Jimison, Director of Regions at the Institute of Internal Audit. I joined the Institute in 2019, having spent 25 years doing internal audit, primarily in financial services, but also in the big four latterly. I've also had a career beforehand, 12 years in retail banking and process re-engineering, and I currently hold a non-executive director position in a financial services company. I'm joined here today by Mike Pierce, Director for Corporate Partnerships at the Climate Group. Good morning, Mike. And Stephen Licence, Group Chief Internal Auditor at Legal in General. Hi, Stephen. Thank you both for joining us today. I'm going to provide a brief overview of Risk and Focus 2021 and some of the key issues relating to climate change and environmental sustainability. Risk and Focus is the Institute's most important thought leadership document and a major project of the year. It aims to be a pivotal point of focus for internal auditors across Europe as they plan and formulate their audit plans for the year ahead. This year's report was based on a survey of 579 chief internal audit executives and 42 in-depth interviews following up to get the detail of the discussion. We also included audit committee chairs for the first time, as well as chief audit executives. And in another first, the research was also including views from 51 subject matter experts to provide insights on the developing risk areas, such as climate change and also cybersecurity. The outlook of Risk and Focus 2021 has been shaped by the coronavirus epidemic. The pandemic exposed the magnitude of climate change risk that lies ahead and highlighted the need for lasting change to avoid the next big potential crisis. Climate change and environmental sustainability was voted a top five risk by nearly 25% of our chief audit executives in the Risk and Focus survey itself. This is an increase of more than 50% from last year's survey, with this priority expected to further increase as the years progress and the risk crystallises for us more so. No other risk is expected to gain as much in priority as this particular risk. So what is the backdrop and the wider context for the increased priority of climate change? Throughout 2020, the pandemic brought huge economic damage and prompted governments and central banks to deliver the most ambitious stimulus packages in history. It's predicted that companies coming out of recession without a clear plan and a commitment to environmental sustainability risk longer term financial costs. There'll be risks for them in sustainability. Greater awareness of the carbon footprint and shifting consumer values sees consumers change their behaviour. Furthermore, plans to minimise climate risk are increasingly being scrutinised by investors. There's pressure coming from everywhere. There are also other non-commercial risks associated with climate change. For example, extreme weather and environmental shifts are really reshaping supply chains now. So with climate change risk moving quickly up the agenda, we would like to discuss what organisations should be doing to address it and the role internal audit can play in managing and mitigating that risk. I'm now going to turn to my first guest of the day, Mike Pierce. Hello, Mike. Can I just ask you to introduce yourself, please, and tell us a little bit about the work you are doing at the Climate Change Group? Great. Well, thanks very much, Derek, and I'm delighted to be part of this podcast. So the Climate Group, which I've been working for the last four years, is an international non-profit organisation. We have offices in London, New Delhi and New York, which you may notice are some of the regions with the biggest carbon emissions in the world. 
the goal at the climate group is to drive action on climate and to do that fast. Very interesting to hear your reflections earlier because we've seen a lot of climate targets being made by companies and governments for the sort of 2050-2060 period in the last few months. But we also know that to be able to achieve those sorts of goals, it makes a real difference what we're able to do in the next decade, what we've been calling the, the climate decade. Very briefly, the way we work is to form networks of businesses and governments and to work with those to unlock action on key systems such as energy, transport, built environment or industry. Thank you, Mike. Certainly a bit interesting to know about the locations, New Delhi, New York. I hadn't actually appreciated that and very much you're right, obviously, major contributors to the problems we have just now. Mike, during 2020, the Chancellor announced the UK's intention to mandate climate disclosures by large companies and financial institutions across the economy by 2025. Do you feel that this went far enough and what do you think of the next steps? Very interesting. I mean, I think I found it it's a really encouraging development at the end of the year and really started to signal the way in which the debate on on climate had started to become more significant in the in the business and political agenda. I think that there was something I think particularly important because of the role that the UK government is playing as the host of the UN Climate Conference in 2021. And so there's an important signaling role that it's able to play by making that sort of announcement. I think just more importantly, though, the basics of we know that disclosure on performance on topics such as climate does play a critical role in helping to influence action more broadly across the business community, whether that's motivating action within companies so they can measure their progress, but also to start to enable comparisons with peer companies. I think the approach is a is certainly is a, the approach that was taken was a positive one. It was based on a on a some work which has been done by I think called the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures, elsewhere TCFD um, more commonly talked about. And you know this is a robust approach set up through the G20 with the Finance Stability Board and really starting to pick on some of the key topics around governance, strategy, risk management, and metrics and targets. And so an approach which many organisations, I believe, you know, well over a thousand worldwide have started to signal their intention to work with those, which I think gave momentum and, you know, gave the Chancellor the confidence to take forward that announcement. You know, and I think with that, you know, the UK did become the first country to give a, a practical meaning to how you would take forward the TCFD at a governmental level. And so, you know, very much I hope that this is will work as a signal to the wider market and to other governments and then to provide a, you know, an opportunity for other countries for more transparency in this, in this market around sustainability and climate issues. Okay. Do you think this is actually starting to create more momentum on the subject now, Mike, that the focus is really starting to get a bit tighter on us? I think, you know, in a way, the decision itself was, in a sense, a symptom of the attention that this topic is getting now. There are many more companies that are recognising and wanting to be able to articulate how their performance is driving change on climate issues and, you know, very precisely on, on the value of their enterprise. And so there's, there's, they're seeing the financial connection, but also seeing the role that they have. And so I think it's, in a way, it's a, it's a sort of an outcome of that emerging debate. But very interesting, I think these sort of moves from government can also start to play, as I say, this signaling role to push others and to say, actually, it's possible to do more on this. And we have business behind us in that direction, too. So this is these are not two mutually exclusive forces fighting each other on this terrain. To what extent do you believe that governments have the responsibility for addressing issues related to climate change? And would you see that big businesses and organisations, all organisations, should actually be taking the initiative more? 
this is a really maybe one of those perennial questions of sort of in the sort of 20 25 years i've been working on these areas you know the sort of the debate about the role of businesses government pulled back in the 80s what's the part that business could play i think you know different countries clearly have different ways of looking at this topic you know tackling climate change issues in china is not the same as in the uk what i think is really evident is that in each of those regions in all those sorts of regions is we do need all the institutions that have influence in society to play a significant part in in driving change on climate the urgency of the issue means we can't leave it just to one part in the sort of primarily market economies you know businesses have a particularly distinctive role to play they have a lot of assets they have access to finance and the ability to invest effectively and they have the capabilities within their organizations you know in, individual and collective talent to be able to drive innovation at pace and so that is a role that business i think has to be playing to be able to enable us to be able to move move fast but i think i guess it's the bit that's that's really strong in the work we're seeing is how can you get business and government to work more effectively together and and I think maybe there's just you know one example of the work we were doing in the last year I think was sort of quite interesting on this is where we launched an initiative called the UK Electric Fleets Coalition. It's a group of companies that have identified a real desire to be able to transition their fleet to electric vehicles. Um, they've got a variety of reasons for doing so. They want to reduce emissions, they want to improve air quality, they want to increase the reliability of their fleet and you know and they see in the longer term a real cost benefit of going down that route. But to make that sort of commitment viable, they're saying we want to have our fleet by 2030 electric. They do need to have an improved charging infrastructure across the UK. They do need the auto sector to be bringing more models and of more different sorts of electric vehicles to market so that the prices fall and so the range that is needed increases. And the bit that happened here was that voice played a, a significant part in, I think, giving the government the confidence to make an announcement, which happened towards the end of the year, which brought forward that date for the ban on new petrol and diesel car sales in the UK, because they felt able to say, actually, we do have a business wanting to see this transition to occur. And so that government action was able to be encouraged by business. And then it provides a supportive framework for those companies and indeed that that with a wider auto sector to invest. So for me, it's that that's the real opportunity for a bit of government has a responsibility to set ground rules and to support governments companies taking action but we need that to unleash the the innovation of business to enable the, the change we need to see yeah and that, that drives a level of collaboration doesn't it where one actually pushes the other one and, and vice versa to be honest so thank you very much for that from your perspective what would you like to see businesses do more of just now to tackle climate change yeah, I, and I think there's one dimension of this, Derek, is to, in a sense to look at breadth. There are there are lots more business that need to get started and or to increase the amount they're doing on some of their most significant areas of mission. And so we need many more companies coming into the fold, seeing how they can do so. And, you know, that's an interesting part for the much bigger SME sector in the country, but also for many of the larger companies that have done you know, who are doing relatively little. And then obviously there are some companies that have done a lot more thus far and, and seeing how they can accelerate that action. There are, there's a number of areas which we see in terms of climate impact, which are particularly important. The new president of the UN Climate Conference, Alok Sharma, who's been the Secretary of State at Bayes until recently, you know, has specifically identified a number of things he saw that business could do. And I know this is around setting science-based targets, taking action on using clean electricity. And we have a, a corporate commitment campaign at which we lead at the climate group called RE100, where we have 
now over 280 companies worldwide who have signed up to a 100% transition to renewable electricity. So that's one area. Reducing energy use, so smarter use of energy, making you know economic value through less input of energy. We have a campaign on this called EP100, energy productivity. And then the area of transport electrification is really important, EV100 too. There's lots to be done in those areas. There clearly are, depending on your sector or your geography, there are other issues which are really important. And I, I won't go in depth on these now, but the sort of you know heavy industry is a really important one. So there's the use of steel, the use of cement and chemicals, where there's a high degree of carbon in the production of those materials. And then I think probably you know also the area of food is another important one. People are seeing in terms of the emissions that come from diet and food waste and the part that business can play. And that can be a, an important part of the, the change that's needed too. Thank you. Thank you for that. I certainly have knowledge of the construction industry. And when you mentioned cement there, that certainly resonated with myself. A challenge for that industry, obviously, is uh, the use of cement an awful lot of the time. It's just what, what product do you go to and how do you actually change and change sustainably for the future? Could some businesses jump forward quite quickly with some quick changes and quick areas of focus from your perspective, Mike? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think very often... One of the most unglamorous areas is around energy efficiency. And so I think there's a lot that can be done where companies have done, you know, essentially effective energy audits and understood both in terms of the operation of their buildings or industrial processes. There are big wins to be made. And that can be some quite prosaic things such as LED lighting, where there are very strong economic savings to be made from installing LED lighting across buildings or indeed in offices. Then other heating and cooling technologies are going to be key parts of that. So I think energy use is almost the first thing to go for. And it's often not talked about, but it's there are also very direct economic benefits which come from that, you know, directly correlated to the use of energy. And so in a way, there's almost like a management time is the only challenge to be thinking through how do you move forward on some of those issues. And let's say, I think there's now in most geographies, it is increasingly economically the right choice to move forward to renewables. And so that becomes a, another key step that companies can take. An opportunity for you, a theoretical opportunity, uh, Mike. If you were a chair of an audit committee just now, and you were talking to your audit function, what would you ask them to do? I think my first and the most important piece is that it's clearly important to build capacity within those teams to be able to ask the right questions about where those most significant risks really lie. And that's partly about their own operations, but it may be about an understanding of the wider, you know, wider impact on supply chains and how this is contributing. So I think it's actually an investment in understanding how this evolving social environmental context is going to affect the risk to the organisation. And I think with that, I, I, in some ways, it makes me sound like I'm, I'm wanting to make it a distinct picture over there. In some ways, it's about making that into a mainstream conversation. So it's how you can support internal audit in having, you know, an effective conversation across the company where climate issues are just part of the normal thinking about the direction and operation of the organisation. So it's not some stuck in a box type area. I think that does often require, as I say, some new ways of thinking and new new skills to bring in to individuals, you know, which many of which will appear be existing in the audit function, but which can be strengthened. But I think with that, to, to make this part of the day to day is going to be the, the big win in this area. That's really good. Thank you very much. So turning to yourself, Stephen, welcome again to this session. Uh, can I just ask you to introduce yourself, please, and a bit of your background, please? Yes. Hi, Derek, and, and it's really great to be able to speak to you today. So Stephen Lysons, I'm the Group Chief Internal Audit for Legal and General Group. 
I've worked most of my career in internal audit and, and most of that within financial services as well. And within that subsector, a, a large proportion of that time within the insurance business. So very much worked in property and casualty, which is which is about obviously insuring property and, and people's possessions, but more latterly in, in the life insurance sector, which is about people and uh, their health and their retirement and, and also managing their assets. And, and just to give you a flavour for that, legal in general, is one of the largest uh, financial services groups in the UK and one of the largest asset managers in the world. And, and we we currently manage about £1.2 trillion of assets on behalf of our own clients, our own customers and, and, and other people as well. So this topic is a significant issue for, for us in financial services and a significant topic for legal in general as well. Thank you, Stephen. Great background. And I hadn't quite appreciated the totality of the scale of the organisation. I did know you were big, but not quite that big. Uh, I do now. Stephen, just, just a reflection, please. On, were you surprised by the findings of, of the risk and focus, and even latterly from our climate survey report? Um, it's a great question. I I was not that surprised. I I think as as a society, as more generally business and 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 people involved in particularly the commercial sector, we can sometimes be a little bit slow to pick up on on the changes that are happening more broadly. And, and, and I think climate is, uh, is one of those topics which has been around for a long time. And, and it's not new. I mean, there's, there's been people talking about climate change and the risks associated with global warming for a very long time. But I think the change has been the velocity with which the topic has grabbed the attention of society, of people, and the awareness of, of what we do and, and, and what we're doing to the planet has, has increased significantly in, in a very, very short period of time. It's, it's, it's moved from being a what you would regard as a political issue to, to very much a forefront societal issue. And therefore, it didn't surprise me that much that we, as a profession, have taken a little bit of time to to get our heads around, well, well, what does that mean for us? So to some extent, surprised about the level of some conversations and, and how they're, they're still in the embryonic stage, but also pleased to see that some have already started to take this very, very seriously and internal audit functions are having good conversations. But I think as that conversation increases, internal auditors need to be more proactive in being able to contribute to that debate because it'll be a, a significant part of organisation strategy, whether that be commercial strategy or not-for-profit or public sector. The impact of what we do as organisations on our society and the, the wider global challenges needs to be addressed and therefore internal audit needs to have a, a voice in that discussion. So I'm pleased to see that it has started but Obviously, more needs to be done. Right. OK, thank you for that. Um, it's clear that some organisations, and I'm saying some, haven't yet taken steps they need to in order to address this area of risk. Where would you suggest they start? I think what both yourself and Mike said previously is, is absolutely relevant. It, it, like any topic, you, you need to come to it with a certain level of knowledge and understanding. And we are by our very nature, generalists. And, and to be able to have a, a voice at the table, we need to increase our own understanding of the subject matter. And therefore, the starting point has to be building that skill and capability ourselves as a core part of our proposition. And, and because this topic is so important, 
in comparison to other topics, so so for instance, cyber risk and, and, and other big big topics, it's important that as professional internal auditors, we we have a a view on what this topic is all about, what our organisation. Uh, responsibility is in, in addressing that and therefore being able to advise on on what the the right form of action and, and progress is has taken place so it's about education and awareness in the first instance and then once that's that's in place being able then to contribute to to giving advice to whatever organization whatever type of organization we belong to the benefit of our insights so what observations have you made about climate change and environmental sustainability as an issue through your career in internal audit? Is this something that's evolved over time? Most definitely. And I think the interesting topic, the interesting angle on this is about that horizon scanning risk for me. And, and if we take climate as one example of internal audit having to scan the horizon for potential new risks and new threats and, and new opportunities, this I think would be a classic example of that. And I think you alluded to it, Derek, you know, you know what we used to do back in the day of a, of a bit of a tick and bash approach to these topics is, is just not how we should be operating as modern, relevant and insightful internal auditors. One of our responsibilities is to scan the horizon, look at potential threats and risks and have a professional view on them. And therefore, my reflection on my own journey through the profession is 20 years ago, you wouldn't even have had the opportunity to discuss this. The beauty of what we've been able to do as a profession is there's an expectation now that internal audit will have a view on this. And so we have a responsibility now to make sure we we're informed and educated so we can give our organisations advice and insight into what the risk is and, and how best to manage that. I think it's brilliant that we're even having this conversation and we're able to contribute to this debate and it'd be relevant to our profession as well. And therefore, I think it's a great example of how we've moved from being irrelevant and, and not having a voice to being very relevant and, and people wanting to hear our voice. You reflect on that. I totally agree with what you're saying, Stephen, obviously, but you reflect on a 20 year period where your evolution of understanding and positioning of the audit team, etc. Imagine where we could get to in five or 10 years time where we continue that evolution and where that puts us as a profession, far more value even more than today. So I'm very much of the view we have to keep up that momentum. In fact, we have to increase that momentum from here on in. And, and with that comes a responsibility. We have a responsibility as professionals to have a view and be informed and be at the front of that discussion and use the, the opportunity that being at the, the table provides. And we have that ability to do that and we have the responsibility to do it as well as individuals and as part of society and as professionals, in my view. Yes, it's, it's a three-pronged attack here. You can't really avoid the subject and you shouldn't be doing it because you have to. You should just be doing it because you need to, to be honest. Throughout your career, are there any key observations on this particular topic? I think you've, you've, you've probably hit the main point, is, which is horizon scanning, but are there any other observations that you would make in terms of how what it could do its work differently going forward? I think the difference is, is making sure that we, we have the right skill and capability to provide a view. And, and, and it isn't just about knowledge and education. It's about being able to bring that and, and reflect that in what we do and how we do it. So each individual head of audit or, or internal auditor needs to be able to use their skill and knowledge of internal auditing to bring this, this topic, to provide a view on this, this topic. So it needs to be part of planning, it needs to be part of the execution, it needs to be part of reporting, and as, as with many other different types of risk. So the challenge is to embed it within 
our ongoing practices and, and procedures and, and be able to give a, a view on it from end to end and, and make sure we don't miss a key part of the, the, the risk profile. What particular challenges do you think the financial services sector have when addressing climate change? Yeah, so there's 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 many challenges depending on which part of the the financial services sector you sit in. So I'll I'll speak very much from the position that I'm I'm at at the moment within legal in general. It features in all aspects of our business, and to give you some examples of this, I, I talked about the asset management business. That is a huge amount of other people's money that we're responsible for investing, and we have responsibility to protect those assets and to give information advice on what those assets are doing, what they're being invested in, and what risks are posed as a result of making those investments. And climate risk has a huge potential risk on people's assets. And you only need to look at the oil and gas sector to know that potentially that would be significantly and will be significantly impacted by a sentiment and the move to more green energy sources. So To enable us to provide our customers with advice, we need to be able to influence and protect their assets and protect their investments. We need to use our position as significant asset owners to make sure that those companies are doing the right thing and that they're pivoting in the right way to ensure their long-term sustainability, which they are doing. And that isn't just an individual firm objective. It needs to be an industry objective. And and that is is what's happening. The asset management industry is is being extremely vocal to business owners that they must take climate change risks seriously and they must be able to demonstrate that they are in a position to be sustainable in the long term as a result of uh, the risks and the sentiment changes around climate. So that's the asset management industry, but also financial services industry are investors themselves. And we are able to invest in climate friendly businesses to as, as a good investment. You know, we see this as a huge opportunity to invest in renewable energy, urban regeneration and new energy sources. And potentially the financial services industry is a, is a key provider of capital to those new businesses and emerging technologies. And it's good business as well as, as, as a benefit to society. And therefore, you know, we have a responsibility to identify those opportunities. And internal audit plays a pivotal role in making sure that those investments are sound. Because one of going up to your question, what's one of the risks is that there is a huge amount of talk about the benefits and what's being done. But there needs to be some very clear governance around some of the statements that are made around climate change. And we already know that many schemes that were set up to introduce carbon offsetting turned out not to be that at all. So the whole risk around greenwashing and and firms being caught up in in, in that needs to be taken very seriously. And that is around making sure that there is good governance, good oversight and and transparency around potential investments. So there's a huge opportunity from from all parts of of, of the financial services sector. But coming with that are are significant risks. and, and, And some of those are around us not doing what we say we're going to do and others not providing us with, with the information to enable us to, to do that for our customers. So we, we have to play our role in providing assurance around those things. Uh, totally, totally agree. I'll come back to that in about 10 seconds time. I was going to ask you a general question about what internal audit could do now, but I'm going to change it slightly if I may, Stephen. You mentioned the word governance. To me, it's a key element of, of how internal audit needs to focus going forward not just on this topic, but in general. And I'll also relate to two discussions I've had just before Christmas time with different heads of audit, both of whom who took the view 
and obviously I won't tell you who they were, but both of them took the view that the organisation had made some commitments around climate that were really more off-the-cuff comments than a serious commitment. And the role of an internal audit in that environment might be quite interesting in terms of checking the governance over this, checking the background and the development of these commitments, if you like. Do you see that being a key key piece of audit work that could come over the next year or so? Yeah, most definitely. I, I think the the challenge is very often people get excited when they talk about this topic and, and make uh, make commitments and, and promises that either they don't understand. Because what, when you make a a commitment and a promise, you need to be able to stand behind it. It needs to be ordered. Certainly in a, in a, in a uh, private company that's making public disclosures, those statements need to be based on good research and, and robust management information, and, and they need to be able to be audited. I think it's it was very easy to make bold statements and then go back and go, well, can we actually deliver this? To which sometimes the answer is, well, that might be a little bit more difficult than we thought, because the topic is full of contradictions. And there's one thing that I've, I've kind of learned a little bit on the way here is the choices that seem to be quite straightforward tend not to be that straightforward. And, and there's a classic example of that, if I may. You know, there's, there's a big call, and Mike will, will recognise this, in terms of the coal industry. You know, there's a wide accepted view that mining coal is, is a bad thing because of the, the impact on climate and, and the, the production of carbon. The problem with that is if you say, well, we're not going to mine coal, is there's a lot of people in Eastern Europe whose livelihoods and jobs and, and society depend on those jobs and that industry. So saying we're not going to do this has a societal consequence somewhere down the road. And we have to say, well, what's the right balance between impacting people's ability to put food on the table and our desire to have you know, a carbon target met? So there's contradictions and decisions that need to be well, well thought through. So it is very easy to make commitments. It is very difficult to come to a judgment on what's the right approach. And sometimes it takes a longer approach and a, and a more long-term view of things to get to the right answer. Which is why, you know, certainly again, in, in, in using my own example, our, our approach is to try and influence rather than, than dictate what's going to happen. And we believe that people will do the right thing. And if they don't, then we'll do something about that. But, you know, if we're able to articulate why we think it's the right thing to do, then there's a, there's a compelling argument to that. But any statements that we make, yeah, absolutely, we need to be able to support them with data and they need to be auditable. And, we, and internal, audit, internal auditors have a pivotal role to play in making sure that those statements are robust and, and can be stood behind. Stephen and Mike, thank you very much. I'm going to just reflect for a second on something you said, Stephen, and bring Mike back in again if I could for a second. Stephen, you talked about the balancing act, if you like, the, the government's balancing act, uh, the difficulty or the challenge you mentioned between no coal and the impact on the, the people, if you like. To, to what extent do both of you, and I might go to Mike first, what extent do you think we're actually, in a sense, dress rehearsing how government responds to a major crisis through the pandemic just now and the, the need to have, the need that they have rather, to create a balance in every decision? You can't just close everything down necessarily at the expense of everything else. Do you think we're actually starting to play out the role that the government has to play going forward and climate particularly as the, the impression increases on that? Mike, yourself? Please. Yeah. So, I mean, I suppose, you know, what's what's been clear from the attempts to tackle climate change over the last decades is that this is a a complex issue, which is multifaceted with health issues, with air quality, with people's jobs and livelihoods, as, as Stephen has talked about earlier. It's also one which crosses borders very easily. And so the difficulties of crops in one region give way to war, which give way to migration. And as such, it requires 
international cooperation and engagement to be able to deal with that. And so, you know, there has been you know, an enormous test of the international political and business community in responding effectively to the pandemic. There's been things that have gone well and things that have gone less well. So I've no doubt there are some quite distinctive elements about how we do this, but the need for communities to come together to focus on a, a common problem and to mobilise on that. And I suppose there's been the very interesting other dimension with the pandemic of how you engage with people to move through that process of change, how you get people to buy in and commit to action and see the value of it to their own lives has been a sort of a consistent bit of communications and understanding challenge. So it's, yeah, there's lots of lessons we can draw from this. And, you know, one of the challenges is for the climate community has obviously been, you know, this is, we've not wanted to make this about the pandemic, about climate change, but, but nevertheless, the, the opportunity to learn and build out through this period is a really important one to think through how yeah. we can have a green recovery as a response to this, the jobs that are needed to be as a, to come through this. This is a great moment to try and do something which is about, in a way, you know, finding the tapping into the sense that the public has had about the value, the, the public good that can come from action on some of these issues. And I think let's let's seize that opportunity. We, we have that chance now. Great. Thank you, Mike. Stephen, you? Well, I would I would entirely agree, and and, and I think the momentum was building, and and I think uh, Mike Mike said it very well. You know, the, we now have a springboard opportunity. The economy in the UK is where it is. It is going to require a significant amount of investment to to get us back to even where we were twelve months ago, eighteen months ago, and we we have an opportunity to to reconstruct some of that and do it in a better way that benefits society uh, more general. And, and there can't be a a better cause, if you like, than climate to to say, well, we're going to we're going to do it differently now. We're going to build the future in a way that is thinking about the impact on the planet more than it's ever been before. And if we're able to do that, that can only be beneficial to to society and everybody in it for the future. So it's a great opportunity. It really is a great opportunity out of a crisis that none of us really predicted would occur. And I hope that we don't lose the momentum of that. I, I certainly hear my own organisation talking a lot about us not wanting to lose the momentum of this opportunity. It would be a great tragedy, actually, if, if that happens. But if we get it right, then we, we end up solving more than one problem here, which has got to be a, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. For those listening, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you found it insightful and useful, and it will help your organisation manage and mitigate climate change risk. Please do share the podcasts with your colleagues and friends via social media. Please also talk to people about this. We've used the word collaboration. Collaboration comes through many means. Talking is a very strong way of doing this. Collaborate, talk to people. We have produced further resources as part of Risk and Focus series, including practical guidance for internal auditors on climate change and environmental sustainability. In November, we also published a report on organisations' preparedness for climate change featuring examples of good practice. Uh, Stephen was a contributor to that. And again, thank you for that, Stephen. So please go and refer to that as well. But for now, I'd like to close and say thank you very much again to Stephen and to Mike. And we hope to see you again in the future podcast. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>